This is thatsinthebible.com. That's in the Bible, episode 121. Do you have assurance? Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, sage from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello, welcome to That's in the Bible, the podcast that looks at what the Bible has to say on really a variety of issues. And, you know, we view the Bible as our number one authority, the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. And today we'll be looking at, do you have assurance? But let me check in with our regular cast here. And first of all, I'm going to bring in On the Road... Uh, somewhere in Ohio, I believe, missionary to the Arctic, Matthew. Matthew, how's it going? Hey, man, it's good to be here. Going through a rainstorm right now, but yeah, coming from Ohio, had a meeting at uh, one of our supporting churches and went really well last night and uh, drove drove about seven hours yesterday to get there and then presented and preached and then uh, been driving today. So i got about two hours left. I think I'm uh, somewhere in Pennsylvania <laughs> and then... Uh, and then we'll be uh, back in New York here in a couple hours, Lord willing. Amen. And for all those that are wondering if he's driving safely, he's using hands-free, which is still yeah. legal as of now. Um, so yeah. good to hear from you, man. We're going to let you go, though. We'll, we'll keep you on on the uh, the podcast so you can hear, but we're going to let you go just because of the sound quality, and you need to concentrate on driving. All right. Sounds good. Good talking to you guys. All right. Talk to you again. All right, but that was Matthew. Now let's bring in uh, our other regulars on the podcast. And uh, first of all, Pastor Strobel from Lockport, New York. Pastor Strobel, how are you, sir? I'm doing well and good to be back uh, at the That's in the Bible microphone. Yeah, glad glad to have you. Now, <laughs> you just had a uh, some a series of special meetings at your church there in Lockport. We did, and actually that's when we were in the special meetings when we recorded the last one, uh, all of us in person together, which was a blessing. Um, and the meetings went real, went real well. Uh, again, we had uh, Brother Matt, our uh, other colleague, who was just on the phone uh, with us uh, preaching, as well as Brother Mark McGahey. And uh, Lord really blessed, and we enjoyed it uh, very much so. And I haven't, it seems like, slowed down any since that time, so... Amen. Amen. And also our regular uh, pastor is Pastor Stephen Bear. Stephen Bear, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, thanks. And uh, you got to sing. Uh, we get to hear you sing at the, anybody that was at Lockport, uh, with yes, Pastor Strobel's know. Church, got to hear you and your son sing together. Yeah. Had uh, two out of the three that uh, that uh, normally sing with us uh Steve was uh, away or, or indisposed or whatever, wasn't able to make it, but uh, had David and Jason with us, and, and uh, they're with me at uh, our church, so it's kind of easy to, to be able to, to get with them and, and put some things together. But I uh, really enjoyed uh, being able to sing there for the for the meeting for Brother Strobel. We did, uh, I think, what was it, Monday and Tuesday, yep, and um, had a good time there and uh, enjoyed the preaching. Uh, Brother McGay, he's always a hoot, uh, and yeah, uh, 
he's always always has some good things to say and really hits your heart and you know matt did okay i guess you know, for <laughs> being, being a being a son-in-law and all so no he he did a great job and, and uh, i'm sure he's listening and i'm sure he laughed at that one but but uh praise the lord it was it was a blessing so amen, amen. Yes, and I could add, Brother Steve had, uh, you know, the the baritones, and then for one of the specials, it actually became the she baritones. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) His daughter accompanied them. It was great. Yeah, amen. Yeah, she didn't want to be left out, having come all the way from Alaska, and and, uh, she plays piano, and she kind of ropes me into doing some things, and so we kind of did something on the fly. I mean, it was, uh, we... We, uh, <laughs> she comes up to me and kind of says, oh, aren't you going to let me sing with you too? And, and I said, well, you know, maybe if you're, 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 uh, in reserve here. So in case something happens to one of the boys, you're in reserve. She didn't like that too well. <laughs> so well, I'm glad so she, she came up with some, uh, some plan here right before on Monday, Monday afternoon, probably about, oh, four or five o'clock in the afternoon. She said, dad, what about this? And I said, well, we'll have to see what the boys think. <laughs> so <laughs> gave them a call. We got to got to Pastor Strobel's church, went into a room and tried it once and said, okay, I guess we can do it. <laughs> we did it. So, so, but that's not uncommon for us. I mean, we, we've done things extemporaneously many times and they kind of, uh, I wouldn't say expect it, but they're, they're not surprised at it. So the boys were really good. They, uh, Jason, I think, did did a part that he hadn't done before, and just kind of picked it up. He's able to to sight read uh, some of those things, a different part than what he normally sings, and so it was it was a blessing. It was uh, good music, good song, uh, ministers to the heart, and, and that, that's all we really care about. You know, we we try to sound uh, the best that we can, but really the the whole aim is to, is to hear the words and let words minister with the harmonies that are written and and let god get the glory so that's that's what our intent is amen Amen. we'll have to get some more recordings of you guys so we can put them up in the podcast amen yep i could actually uh get you some from the meeting if uh just remind me about that oh that'd be perfect we could put them up next time or this time even i could insert right here Nearer, still nearer, close to thy heart, draw me, my Savior, so precious thou art, fold me, oh, fold me, close to my King, only my sinful, now contrite heart. 
Thy blood doth impart. Grant me a cleansing. Thy blood doth impart. Nearer, still nearer, Lord, to be thine. Sin with its follies, I gladly resign. All of its pleasures, pomp and its pride, give me but Jesus, my Lord crucified. Give me but Jesus, my Lord crucified. Nearer, still nearer, while life shall last, till safe in glory my Still nearer to thee, nearer my Savior, still nearer to thee. So, um, well, we're not going to do the uh, sword versus the spear today, our, our new... Uh, um, segment we've added to the show that takes a look at the King James Bible and how it differs from all the new translations, or better yet, how the new translations all leave out things and change things and are inaccurate as compared to the authorized version, the King James Bible. So tune in for that um, next time, Lord willing, and uh, you can also hear that on our previous podcasts as well, our previous episodes. But why don't we get right into today's episode, Steve, and and look at uh, do you have assurance? Are you all set? I'm all set. All right, here we go. Well, amen. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, If you please take your Bible and turn to Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41. We'll get there in just a few minutes. But uh, while you're turning there, let me go ahead and open up in a word of prayer. Father, uh, I really thank you for the opportunity to be able to do these podcasts with these fellas. And uh, Lord, it's been a blessing to my heart over the years. Uh, Lord, the friendship and uh, the camaraderie that we've uh, developed over the years to be able to minister together has really been uh, a joy and uh, something I look forward to. Uh, Lord, we joke around with each other and so forth, but there's a genuine love for each other and, and appreciation for the ministries that each of us has. And uh, we just appreciate, Lord, what uh, what you've done with the podcast over the years. And uh, we look forward to what you will do, uh, Lord, as we uh, come up even today and, and in the future with other 
uh, lessons that uh, we put together. So, Lord, we ask for your blessing upon this one. Got to pray that you'd fill me with your spirit, guide and direct, uh, minister to my heart, Lord, that I might be able to minister to those that hear. I pray, Lord, that it might be instructive and it might be helpful. And I pray that Jesus Christ might receive the honor and the glory for it all. For we ask this in Jesus' name for sake. Amen. Oftentimes when uh, people read their Bible, uh, sometimes they're in the midst of something that is not actually written to them, but uh, you find that it's actually written for you. And oftentimes we find that in the Old Testament and so forth. The context that we find here in Isaiah chapter 41 is that God is speaking to the nation of Israel about uh, believe it or not, of their restoration. So he's talking about a future time, talking about the time during the tribulation and even at the close of that tribulation when Jesus Christ comes back to uh, defeat the Antichrist and defeat the devil and uh, cast them all into the lake of fire and so forth. And he restores Israel to its rightful place as the as the wife of God, the Father, and uh, puts them on as the... Uh, how can I say, the chosen people of the millennium and uh, reigns for a thousand years and so forth. And, and God has promised to do that, even though they're rejecting him now and even though they're blinded to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has not forgotten them. And throughout uh, the Bible, he has given them several promises through the, through the prophets of that future time when he will restore them. So doctrinally, that is what this is talking about. But we also know, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now that's Old Testament and New Testament. And let me just say here, just to put this in, it's unfortunate that many Christians, and I say Christians, saved, born-again people, will not avail themselves of the Old Testament. For whatever reason, they think that only the New Testament is pertinent to what they need to know from God. And I'm here to tell you that it says here, in the New Testament of all places, all scripture is given for, uh, by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So even the things that we read about in the Old Testament have bearing on us as New Testament Christians. Now there's nothing wrong with uh, taking a verse of Scripture, even if it's not even directed primarily towards you, and getting some instruction in righteousness. I'm telling you that this book that we have, this King James Bible, is a living book. It is quick and powerful, as it says there in the book of Hebrews. It can minister to us. It can help us. It can encourage us in so many ways. And as uh, you've heard the title that's been given to this podcast, Do You Have Insurance? That is what I want to talk to you about today from Isaiah chapter 41. Now, assurance is a confidence that always is going to work out in the end. It's confidence in an expected end. Our sense of well-being is set at ease when we, have, when we have been assured that all is well. Now, 
let me just kind of relate that to you. Uh, all of us have probably been in this situation at one point or another, but there is a comfort that comes when someone you trust comes to you in a time of trouble and sits with you, maybe gives you a hug on your neck and sheds a tear with you and just whispers in your ear, it's going to be okay. Now, I'm sure that all of us have probably had that kind of a, of a, of a situation in our life where, where someone has done that and it has given us a sense of well-being that, yeah, okay, it's, it's going to be okay. Now, if a human being can have that kind of an effect on us, how much more can the God of the universe have on you and I when he gives us some assurances that all is well, knowing that it is well with your, with your soul? Assurance is confidence, not cockiness. And some may not really be able to tell the difference, but let me, let me just try to do that here very briefly. One is uh, bragging on self and your own ability to be able to handle the situations. It's that cockiness of, hey, me and God got the, you know, we're tight. We've got this thing all together and uh, we've got our own thing kind of going on and so forth. And it's that, that cocky kind of thing when you really by by speaking that way, you really don't know the God of the Bible at all. Uh, all all of which is you know all of that kind of bravado and that kind of talk is is contrary to God's nature and His Word. The other, on the other hand, the confidence is uh, a reliance upon God and His Word to get you through. It's a trust in Him which assures you that all is well, that you can trust his word in any matter. It's really not a feeling, it's a knowing what the word of God says and what the promises of God say that gives us an assurance or a confidence that he's under control and he's watching over things. Now in Isaiah chapter 41, let's take a look in verse 10. Verse 10, in the midst of all of that doctrinal stuff that God is talking about, he's directed this directly to the nation of Israel. But as we've said, this verse can be applied, and you'll see how we can by verses that we relate to this as we go through it. Take a look there in verse 10. It says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now in this verse, we have some assurances from God that we can cling to, that we can have confidence in. First thing I want to draw to your attention is it says there in, in verse 10, it says, Fear thou not. Now, in some of the things I'm going to describe here in just a minute, I'm really not talking about the standard phobias that, that we normally, you know, arachnia, fear of spiders, and, and, and things along that, claustrophobia, you know, fear of closed-in places. I'm really not talking about that. But all of us have fears, and a lot of those fears are internal. There's things that, that, that happen on the inside of us. Now, 
There may be some that put on a good front and they say that they're not afraid. But there are things in every one of us that gets the butterflies going, which is a telltale sign of that anxiousness that's there because of fear, some to a greater degree than others, uh, notably, but the butterflies, or some people get the sweats, where they just sweat profusely at something that they're nervous about, they're fearful of. Some get nausea. Some have a panic attack. Some may even have a dry mouth where they just can't even speak. I remember doing a wedding for one of my kids. I, I don't remember which one. And uh, uh, I was officiating the wedding and uh, got up there and I was just smacking my, my mouth, my lips together because I had no moisture in it at all. And uh, that dry mouth, is, it can be hard to articulate your words and get the words out distinctly. And so some of that comes from, from that nervousness and so forth. Fear comes, uh, and, and the kind of things that I'm trying to talk, about, talk to you about are things such as this. Fear comes from the unknown. From the unknown. Uh, questions that may arise about the unknown. Uh, what's going to happen next? We don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen. And so there are many people that, that are very anxious about what is going to happen next. Or when is it going to stop? You know, they, they're going through a hard time. They're going through a trial. When is it going to stop? Uh, nobody really knows. It's the a fear of the unknown. Uh, another one that may come across some people, what is after death? What is after death? Uh, there's another fear of, fear of being alone. Fear of being alone. I, I know people that purposely... Uh, make sure that they are around other people. They don't like to be alone. It causes an anxiety with them, a fear within them. Some may have uh, 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 trouble with a fear of, of feeling inadequate for the task. In other words, they don't feel that they're skilled enough or talented enough or good enough to be able to do something. Uh, some may have a fear of failure. Some may have a fear of embarrassment. Some may have a fear of making decisions. It obviously leads to them being procrastinators and so forth. In most cases, and I can't say this for all, it's not carte blanche for everything, but fear flees when someone stands with you. Fear flees when someone stands with you. Why do you think most people hang around in groups? Because it gives them a sense of courage. It gives them a sense of confidence. I've been in several groups, whether, you know, we're talking about basketball or whether we're talking about choral groups and so forth, and, and uh, the butterflies are going and so forth. And when you're in a larger group, there's this sense of, of, of relief in the fact that you're not the only one that is that they're depending upon to make sure that you're part, whether it's tenor alto, uh, soprano alto tenor bass or whatever gets out and, and is done correctly uh, when you're in a quartet and you've you've got a part all your own i mean you're responsible for that and there's there's more pressure on you as far as that's concerned so when you're in a group there is less pressure now there may still be some anxiety some nervousness there but still uh, generally that's why people hang in groups and again 
just to look biblically, why do you think that uh, Jesus Christ told the disciples to go out two by two? Now, why did the Lord say, fear not, fear thou not? And the reason why he said there, if you look at the verse 10 there again in Isaiah 41, it says, for I am with thee. Now, you know who's speaking there. It's God that is speaking. You know that if for that for the child of God, there are promises that are given to you. One of those promises we know from Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. And the last part of that verse says, for he saith, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And that's a great promise to have. But but why do we have that? Why did God say that? And that's because the answer to that is because he said he is in you. He is in you. Take a look in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27. It says this, To whom God would make known what is the riches of, his glo- of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Even if you're alone as a child of God in this world, I'm talking about, you know, being in your house alone or being alone at a trial or whatever, even when you are alone as a child of God, you're not really alone. Uh, take a look in, uh, in uh, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. The Gospel of John, chapter 14. Uh, Jesus Christ is on this earth. He's speaking to his disciples. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He knows that he is going to be leaving them. And he's talking about uh, leaving them a a promise. And we find here in John chapter 14, verses 17 and 18, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Now, some live in fear because they have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, they know about his name. Uh, They know about, you know, kind of who he is and so forth. But they don't really know him. Uh, he's not really uh, known to them in a personal way. They know about him, but they really don't know him. Take a look there again in verse 17 of John chapter 14. Whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not. In other words, they can't comprehend who he is and what he's done. They know about him, but they've never received him. They've never trusted in what he has done on the cross. And it says, uh, 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 whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth, seeth him not, neither knoweth him. So there is a fear that's associated with those who do not know where they're going to spend eternity, because they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Just turn over a, a few pages there, back uh, to John chapter 3. And I have a sad verse to give to those who have never trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And I'm just giving you what God has said in this regard. 
John chapter 3 and verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. If you're a lost, there is no assurance of heaven. Only the fear of going to hell. Uh, many of you may remember a fellow by the name of John Wesley. He was a famous preacher back in the 1700s. And uh, he's the one that started the Methodist movement. He and his brother Charles and, and some others that they met with for a period of time, uh, trying to uh, uh, attain some sense of holiness. They had what they called the Holy Club and so forth. But uh, John Wesley and his brother Charles, uh, uh, John was an uh, ordained Anglican minister. He was an Episcopalian priest, if you will, if you want to make that association. But he was from England, so they called it Anglican, from the Anglican Church. And uh, uh, they had been, he had been preaching and so forth. And there was a call to come to the United States to be missionaries to the American Indians and to uh, minister in an orphanage there in Georgia. And so they made the trip. They got on a boat, he and, and Charles, and, and they were on the trip. And as they came on that trip, uh, a violent storm was rocking the boat back and forth and, and heaving to and fro, and, and it was just tossing things all over the place. And, and John and Charles were scared to death, I think partly because of, of the danger of the of the ship going down but but even more so which we'll find out later of where they were going to spend eternity on that same boat was a group of uh moravian missionaries that were going to georgia as well and uh the next day after the storm subsided well let me let me say this first what caused them to notice these Moravian missionaries that while the storm was was tossing the boat all over the place, they were sitting in perfect peace and quiet, singing hymns to each other, and and the the danger didn't affect them at all, and that had a profound effect on on John Wesley. The next day, the pastor of that Moravian group went up to John Wesley and said, "Friend Wesley." Do you know Jesus Christ? And Wesley responded and says, I know that he's the Savior of the world. But the pastor responded back, but can you tell me if he, if he has saved you? And Wesley replied again and says, I hope so. And, in, and then another response came from that pastor and says, but are you sure? And along uh, silence came from Wesley, and then he blurted out these words in front of that pastor. He says, I came to Georgia to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? I have but a fair summer religion. In other words, he had just something that was a form of godliness, but really denying the power thereof. So he and Charles go there uh, to Georgia, and they ministered, or tried to minister to the Indians. They were there for two years, and it was a, a total failure. They couldn't make any inroads to the Indians. They had little effect there with the, with the orphanage and so forth. And in 1738, John Wesley returns to England. He starts back up in, I think that was in February, 
And in May, he met another Moravian by the name of Peter Bowler, who invited John Wesley to one of his meetings. Uh, they were going to be reading and praying and, and talking over scripture and so forth. And kind of like a Bible study, I guess you would, but maybe a little bit more more uh, uh, concentrated on, on uh, religious things and so forth. And um, so uh, they're in that meeting, and what they were going to be doing, they were going to be reading the uh, preface to Luther's uh, commentary on, on, uh, on Romans. They got to a certain point and so forth, and they uh, were, were uh, uh, Luther's talking about being justified by faith, faith alone. He went back from that meeting and, and really couldn't get any rest. About 5 o'clock in the morning, he's praying to the Lord. And finally, in his own heart, he got things settled between him and God and had the assurance that he knew that he was saved and born again. For a child of God, we can have that kind of assurance. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That fear of, that someone has as a lost person comes from someplace else other than, than God. The spirit of fear is from someplace else. Now, God may use, the let's say, the fear of hell to get somebody to trust Christ as their Savior, but that fear is for a child of God comes from someplace else, and and I want to tell you that that many, uh, not just the lost, live in fear. Many a Christian live their lives in fear, wondering and fretting on whether they can lose their salvation or whether they've lost their salvation already because of some sins that they've committed and they haven't been fully dedicated to the Lord and so forth and so on. I'll be honest with you, uh, those that may be students of the Word of God that have this fear, I'll be honest with you, there are some verses uh, within the Bible that can cause some uh, doubt, but, uh, to be, but God is not the author of confusion. And in the Scripture, we have, some, we have uh, clear verses which speak to the assurance of the believer. Uh, Take a look in John chapter 10, the Gospel of John chapter 10. We're going to be there for a few verses here, so you can rest there for a few moments. The Gospel of John chapter 10. And I want you to take a look at verse 28. And it says, And I give. Notice that it's a gift. What is that gift? And I give unto them eternal life. So if it's eternal life, how long is it? It's eternal. Notice what the rest of the verse says. And they shall never perish. Do you see a condition on that at all? There's no condition on that. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I, I talked to one guy years and years and years ago. that says, yeah, no man can pluck uh, me out of, out of the Father's hand, but I could jump out. Uh, do you ever consider how long or far away you'd have to go to jump out of his hand? I mean, he holds the, the universe in his hands. He created the universe, flicked the, flicked the stars out with his fingertips. I mean, you're going to try to really run and jump out of the, the hand of God, really? Uh, even though, if that being said, 
the Bible says in, in Ephesians, I believe Ephesians chapter 5, that we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We're part of him. We couldn't jump off if we tried. So to use that, that kind of, a, of an excuse uh, to justify that belief that you could lose your salvation is pretty, pretty slim, pretty frail. So there's no condition to those who believe. So let me read that again. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Take a look in John chapter 6 and verse 37. John chapter 6 and verse 37 says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. There's, there's no reason God is going to cast you out. Now, before someone says, yeah, well, you think you can, once saved, always saved, you can do whatever you want. No, 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 no. Your salvation is set and sure, and you have the assurance of that. But you go off and sin like you feel like you want to and just live any way you want to. You're under the chastening hand of God. And he can make your life miserable by not living right and doing right according to the word of God. So there's no, there's no license to sin. It's just the fact that when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have that assurance. Drop down. We were there at verse 37. Drop down to verse 39. Now notice what it says here. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. There was a, a, a preacher in Chicago by the name of Harry Ironside, famous preacher there in Chicago. And he uh, liked to... Um, uh, back in those days, this is probably in the 20s and 30s and 40s, uh, back in downtown areas, they would have these huge cafeterias that were open to the breakfast crowd and the lunch crowd of all the people that worked in the, in the buildings there in Chicago proper. And it was a cafeteria much like what you'd see in, in a high school with, you know, large tables, seats all around. There was no assigned seating, no, no special seating. Nobody sat you down. You just went through the, through the cafeteria line, got your food, and went and sat down at a table. And Harry Ironside used to like to go to these things because he could sit down and talk to somebody different each and every day. Somebody, an older, older man, met him there and knew who, who Harry Ironside was and had some issues about his assurance. And he wanted a definite witness, something that he could not mistaken, be mistaken about as far as his salvation was concerned. So with that being said, Brother Ironside said to the, the older gentleman, suppose you had a vision of an angel who told you, your sins were forgiven. Would that be enough to rest on? And the older gentleman thought for a moment, and he said, well, yeah, I think it would. An angel should be right, and, and so forth. And he kind of paused there. And Brother Ironside said this. He said, but suppose you're on your deathbed, Satan came and said, I was that angel transformed to deceive you. 
What do you say? What do you say now? The old man was speechless, and he had fear in his face. And Brother Ironside continues, says, God has given us something more dependable than the voice of an angel. He has given his son, who died for our sins, and has testified in his own word that if we trust him, all our sins are gone. He quoted 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. And then he went on, he says, Now is that enough to rest on? It's a love letter from heaven expressly given to you. It's God's Spirit used that to bring the assurance to that man's heart. You see, he was trusting in what God said about the assurance that we could have, that we could know that we have eternal life, not that we think so or not that we hope so. All of those things are, are variables because they depend upon our own feelings. Here we have something sure and concrete in our Bible that says that we can know. With that being said, take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, take a look in verse 5. It says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. You notice what it said there? In much assurance. How is it that we can have such assurance? Now, I want you to know that our assurance of salvation doesn't rest upon our goodness or our effort. Once you're saved, it doesn't depend on how good you are as a child of God. It solely rests on Jesus Christ alone. For that, take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, I want you to notice what it says here, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's talking about salvation there. Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Who? Who is that? It's talking about us. That us there in verse 3. The who is us. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. You see, we're not kept by our own power. We're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Now let me say something to you. You don't judge a clear passage by an unclear one. Now, these verses that we've read here thus far have clearly stated that God has given us a gift of eternal life and will never perish. We're never going to he's never going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. Those are all clear passages. The ones that indicate that 
that a child of God in this day and age that we're living in can lose their salvation are unclear, and they have uh, explanations to them. Well, maybe that'll be for another time. We're not going to take the time to do that now. But those are those verses that I, I uh, referenced a little bit earlier that could leave some sense of doubt if you don't understand what they're saying. The Bible says that we're supposed to rightly divide the word of truth. If we're supposed to rightly divide it, then there's a right way to divide it and a wrong way to divide it. And there are segments or places for those to go that maybe don't apply to everyone. Keep that in mind. We have been given clear passages that show us that we have an assurance of Jesus Christ. Now, how is it that we could have that assurance? How is it that we could have that? Now, in there, there in the verses that we just read there in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 through 5, it talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Take your Bible and go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, take a look in verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Well, that's a bad word in, in many Baptist circles today, repent. But let's I digress. Verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. You understand that our assurance is based on the fact that God raised up Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not dependent upon how good we live. It's dependent upon the power of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which led Jesus Christ, knowing this, to say this in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Talking to Martha, he said, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? You see, the whole thing is contingent upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with us other than the fact that we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. From that point on, he does the rest of the keeping. Now. There are some that live in fear because they choose not to believe God. Here we've got several verses. There are several more that we could go through if we, if we took the time. This Bible study is going to be long enough as it is, and I don't want to take the time. But there are many verses that people just will not believe. And uh, they don't really care what God says because they are what I call yeah, but. Christians. Yeah, but you start to show them some clear verses from the from the Bible about the assurance we have in Jesus Christ. They'll say, yeah, but what about, yeah, but what about this verse? Yeah, but what about that verse? And I always revert to, to, to them by saying, but yes, but what does God say? We just read this verse that says very clearly that we have eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's talking about eternal life, that. 
And then he says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. How long is eternal life? It's not eternal life if you could lose it. People just choose not to believe God. Now let me just finish this section by saying this. When we have the assurance of the presence of God, there is confidence to live for Him without distraction. That's what assurance does for us. That is the benefit that we have because of assurance. Now back to Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. The second thing I'd like to draw to your attention there, God says, be not dismayed. <laughs> uh, we, we all suffer with this one. Dismayed is being discouraged, disheartened, ready to quit. When things go wrong, when things don't go as we expect them, we get discouraged, we get disappointed. When we think God has forsaken us, we get discouraged. There are times, and I, I'd say most of the time, we are in a situation uh, in our lives, whatever we're going through, because of our own foolishness, our own stubbornness, our own sinfulness. But oftentimes... And I can't say all the time. Some of us may uh, may have a better handle on this, uh, especially if you've if you've been faithful to the Lord and and, and uh, seen Him work in your life over time. But many oftentimes blame God for not making the outcome of our own doing a bed of roses. In other words, you know they expect God just to to automatically just turn things around when we do stupid things. And the Bible says we reap what we sow. But let me hasten on to say this, but there are trials God puts us through which are designed to test us, to refine us, to make us better able to serve Him. And I'm here to tell you that they're tough. And He can push us to our limits. I uh, I often think of sports when I have illustrations of what God is doing in in my life and and as a pastor what I see God doing in others' lives and uh, oftentimes people really struggle when God really puts something on them and uh, what I see when I see that is is nothing more than a than a coach putting his team through the paces. When I was in high school, my sophomore year, uh, I uh, tried out for the basketball team. And, of course, uh, you know, most people are, are accustomed to having a varsity and a junior varsity. But we had so many guys that were going out for basketball there in Indiana, especially that northwest corner. And those that were in our conference, uh, there were a number of schools that had enough uh, people that they wanted to kind of keep in the program that would normally be cut from the, the junior varsity team that they developed a C team. So you had varsity, junior varsity, and then a C team. And uh, I, I was able to, to make that team and so forth. And, and the coach that we had was one that, that uh, believed in run and gun. Uh, I mean, he had set plays and so forth that we worked with that worked well. 
but his idea was to be a fast break team. And we used to have a, a drill he called, for whatever reason, I don't know why he called it this, but it was a South High fast break drill. That's what they called it. And it was just continuous running. And uh, there was defense and there was offense. And the guys on defense, as soon as they got the ball, whether it was made or whether they got the rebound, they kicked it out to an outlet person. And those two defenders went down full court, running on to two other guys that were standing at defense with an outlet man on the side. And you had maybe a little bit of time to rest and so forth, but you practiced three-on-two uh, defense uh, for fast break and three-on-two offense and trying to make the basket passing and doing all the things. And so we'd run that for hours and just run and run and run and run and run. And we got done with that drill, and we ran the play for a little while and just worked on how to how to uh, operate it and how to reset it and so forth and how to all the different options that we had to run the run the play. Uh, we would run the lines. Now, if anybody doesn't know what the lines in in the basketball gym, you have a baseline and a baseline. But you have the free throw line, and then you have the midcourt line, and then you have the other free throw line. So running the lines was from the one baseline, you'd run to the nearest free throw line, you'd run back to the baseline. Then you'd run to the middle court and run back to the baseline that you came from. And then run to the other free throw line and run back to the baseline. Run to the baseline, back to the baseline, that's one. And we used to do 20 of those, and he'd just run us to death. And what he was doing is he'd push us and he'd say, you guys are going too slow. Come on, let's start all over again. And then we'd have to start all over again. And, and everybody would have to run. And some guys ran faster than others and so forth. And we all tried to, you know, to do it. But he didn't want us to uh, tire out at the end of a basketball game. He pushed us and he pushed us and he pushed us. And that kind of reminded me of something that I uh, was aware of. And, and, of course, they made a movie of it. It's called Glory Road and so forth. But it's about uh, Texas Western University in uh, down in uh, uh, El Paso, Texas. I think they've changed the name of the, of the uh, school. I think it's Texas Tech, I think is what it is now. I could be wrong on that. But back in 1966, the NCAA Basketball Championship was was uh, uh, going there. The, uh, Texas Western won that. They beat Kentucky that year. The coach that they had for that for that team was Don Haskins, and he went on la years later and went to Maryland and coached there for a number of years. But he was known for his practices being ten times worse than what any game would be, which had kind of the same mindset. They just ran and ran and ran and ran. They played tough and hard and so forth in practices so that they wouldn't be surprised or or get tired uh, in their games. And it proved to be a, a winning strategy for him. But oftentimes, you know, with those coaches that have that mindset, you know what they do? They yell at you. They scream at you. They prod you along to to do better than what you expect. And when you think that you can't give any more, you realize you you've got still more in the tank. You can give some more. And oftentimes I look back on those things and I and I see that kind of thing where God is trying to perfect us. He is working in us, trying to make us the Christians that He wants us to be. And sometimes those trials can become very difficult. Sometimes uh, when uh, the present outcome is anything but we expect, 
we look back over the over the years and we see that God has taken those things which seem to be mistakes and unfulfilled expectations and he caused them to 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 be things uh that work out for not only for our benefit but for his benefit why does god say be not dismayed you take a look at the verse there in in uh, uh, isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10 it says be not dismayed for i am thy god he wants you to realize that we have the right god we're not supposed to forget that Uh, he can do things that we can't possibly imagine we have the God that created all things as the one that's telling us not to be dismayed. Uh, this world and its religious religions are groping and believing in gods of no help or no value. They're being deceived. Whether they're stones, idol, idols uh, of stone and so forth, or whether it's kind of an abstract thing of, of humanism, uh, which many of the atheists and agnostics uh, are, are ascribe themselves to be. Uh, they're deceived. They're deceived. Look, in Psalm 96, verses 4 and 5, it says this, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens this uh, uh, sets the god uh, our god far above all the other gods Uh, none of the other gods could do even the devil himself could not create anything and so all of those gods are inferior and the lord lets us know that in psalm 115 verses 3 through 8 it says this but our god is in the heavens He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They make the, they that make them are like unto them, so is every one that trusteth in them. Idols aren't any better than the people who make them or the people who worship them. Man is very superstitious in thinking that something that someone can make is going to benefit them some way and somehow. Man is superstitious. They think that praying to an idol will profit them in some way. You know, that reminds me of Paul on Mars Hill there in Acts chapter 17, and he's seeing all of those idols there. Obviously, he sees the, un, uh, the, the, idol of the, the, the idol there, the unknown God, and so forth. But nonetheless, when he looks around and sees all those idols, Paul makes this statement in verse 22. Says ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Now, let me just sidetrack just for a moment. You don't have to be a, a heathen to pray to idols. In some Christian denominations, they pray to idols of stone, 
the idols of porcelain, the idols of marble, which are of no help. They are too superstitious. Talking about superstitious, I uh, had a conversation with someone some time back. Uh, he was looking for signs and assurances from his deceased father about the afterlife and that everything was going to be okay and so forth. And he wasn't a Christian. So uh, he was telling me how that without anyone being in the room, lights would come on and talking about, you know, the radio was just out of the blue playing his dad's favorite song and so forth. And all of these were were things to him that meant that his God was uh, that his dad was speaking to him from beyond the grave and telling that everything was okay. He is looking for assurances that everything is all right. I tell you, it, it's crazy to think that some people are that superstitious and thinking that these type of things are are clues from beyond the grave. Lost people and even Christians alike, unfortunately, have turned to mystics and other forms of occult to get assurance that all is well. Much like Saul did to with the witch of Endor, and uh, that did you know that didn't turn out too well for Saul, and it's really not going to turn out well for any Christian that thinks that they're going to try to get a hold of something from these mystics and those that read cards in the occult, whether they turn to reading of the tarot cards or the Ouija board, their horoscopes and all those things. Why, why are they looking for signs when they have available to them the Creator Himself? We have the right God, the true God, and all we have to do is lean upon Him and believe on Him. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 14, the verse says, And said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in the heaven, nor in the earth, which keepeth covenant, and showest mercy unto thy servants, that walk before thee with all their hearts. In Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 and 6, it says, I am the Lord. And there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. God shows his power and his existence every morning and every evening manifesting the crucifixion and the resurrection as the sun rises and the sun sets as predictable as they are that they can set the tides and they can set uh, the time in which the sunrise will will appear and the sunset will disappear god is faithful and we have the right god and we have assurance in him now because he is the true god he has promised some things here in this verse that we need to take a look at. There in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, God says, I will strengthen thee. When he says, I will, that's a promise. 
verses, many verses we could go to. I just want to go to a couple of familiar ones for you. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29 through 31, He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have uh, no might He increaseth strength. Even the youth shall fail, uh, faint and uh, be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In uh, uh, Psalm chapter 27 and verse 1, the, the Bible says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now there are many ways that, that this can this strength can be manifested. But let me just give you one. It's found in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. And the end of that verse says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is that sense internally that everything is all right, even if everything around you is falling apart. Joy is the assurance that it is well with your soul. Having an example of this in Hebrews chapter 12, talking about Jesus Christ, when he's going to the cross, it says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now Jesus Christ looked at what laid ahead of him instead of dwelling on his present condition, that of being on the cross. Joy is knowing that you are saved, and even if the worst things happen to you, you are still going to heaven. That's what joy does. It looks to the future. So even though we bad things happen to us, we still know that we're on our way to heaven. Joy is knowing that even if our body is falling apart, you are going to get a new one. Joy is knowing that even if you fail the Lord, one day you will be with him and never sin again. <laughs> That's a blessing. I'll tell you what, if you can't find joy in that, you ought to check your ticker because that is something else. I look forward to the day when I will no longer sin against my God. Joy is knowing that even if troubles overwhelm us, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Another one of those promises that we find there in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. He says, I will help thee. Again, I will. It's a promise. In Psalm 46 verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 145, verse 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. And one more verse here in Psalm 50, verse 15, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Now, remember if you claim that verse, remember that last phrase, And thou shalt glorify me me that's what you have to remember in order to to secure that promise that kind of draws me to a a simple hymn 
that we sing from time to time. It's called God Will Take Care of You. And the first verse goes like this, Be not dismayed, whate'er be tied, God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. The refrain goes like this, God will take care of you. Through every way or all the way, he will take care of you. God will take care of you. Second verse, and I'm not going to do the refrain again, but the second verse goes like this, Through days of toil when heart doth fail, God will take care of you. When dangers fierce your path assail, God will take care of you. The third promise that's given there in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, it says, I will uphold you. Again, I will. It's a promise. That uphold, you could, you could put it this way, I will support you. Much like what Aaron and Hur did for Moses when they upheld his arms there so that the Israelites could win the battle. God will uphold you. In Psalm 54 and verse 4, it says this, Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. In Psalm 119, verse 116, it says this, Uphold me according to thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, the question comes is, how does he strengthen us? How does he help us? How does he uphold you or uphold us? And the end of that verse in Psalm, or Isaiah 41, verse 10 says, With the right hand of my righteousness. Now the question needs to be asked, Who is the right hand? Who is on the right hand of God? And of course we know it to be Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 69, Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now, whether you realize it or not, and whether the Old Testament Jews and Jews of today that are Orthodox believe it or not, they had within that verse the key of knowing that Jesus Christ was the one that was going to deliver them the one that was going to uphold them, the one that was going to strengthen them, the one that was going to, to help them in this time of their lives. God reveals to them that Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Our ability to live for God is in the power of Jesus Christ. When God sees us, he sees the righteousness of his own son, not our righteousness. Let me just give you a couple of verses. We're not going to be long here. I know I've gone a long time, and, and I hope by the grace of God to get done with this very soon. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In other words, when we trusted Jesus Christ, God gave us his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
What a blessing it is to know that when God looks upon us, he sees the righteousness of his son. He doesn't see us. Go to Romans chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6. But him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth the righteousness without works. So in other words, by faith. Take a look in verse 22 and 25. He therefore, uh, and therefore, uh, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone. I believe he's talking about Abraham there. It could be David. I just have to take a look at the context. But this is the verses that I have here. And I'm trying to focus here on verse 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it uh, shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised for our justification. Look, your assurance is in Jesus Christ, not in your own self-effort. Don't live in fear, but trust in the living word of God. What a precious thing it is that we have Jesus Christ as our assurance, an assurance that gives us confidence that all is well or that it is well with your soul. I tell you what, I'm not going to take the time here, but you ought to look up the, the hymn, It Is Well With Your Soul, and read the words of that hymn and you'll fully understand and comprehend what it means to have the assurance of Jesus Christ, knowing that our salvation is set, but not only our salvation, but our being as living for him, we have the assurance that it is well with our soul. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the opportunity. Amen, Brother Steve. That's... That was a Bible study, and uh, it, it's also great to hear those verses again, even as a Christian that's been saved for, for some time, just to hear those those verses of assurance is, you know, is great, because sometimes even knowing those verses, you can sometimes, or I can, I'll speak for myself, can think, oh man, how does, how does, how does God love me? You know, how, how, yes. When I fail so often... Um, Amen. but it's, it's good to hear. Um, if you'd like to have those verses written down, if you go to that's in the Bible.com, if you look under transcript, you'll see all those verses that, uh, pastor Stephen bear, uh, read to you and, uh, talked about will we'll be right there. So, um, you have that opportunity and you have that resource available to you, but let's go to pastor Strobel, pastor Strobel. Amen. Uh, love the subject, and I'm uh, I'm aware as we've recently got on this uh, new platform for the podcast that it goes out um, even a lot further than uh, it, it did originally. And so I am confident that this podcast is going to reach some people who do not 
believe in eternal security and assurance of salvation. And, and really those two subjects go hand in hand. And it's one of the main things that uh, Pastor Steve was talking about. And I just want to encourage you, even if you resist this truth and rebel against it and find something that uh, just upsets you about it, to go back and, and re-listen to, uh, especially that first point, but the entire podcast as well, and look up those verses. Uh, because, you know, those Yabut Christians that he talk, talk of, uh, had spoken about, um, they're always saying, yeah, but what about this verse? Well, yeah, but what about the verse that he showed you that made you say, yeah, but what about this verse? And that's what <laughs> you got to look at. Amen. Those things need to be reckoned with. And it is about rightly dividing the word of truth. I was thinking about um, when you're talking about the guy that told you, yeah, I could jump out of his hand, you know, neither slain man plucked them out of my hand. My father which gave them me is greater than all, you know, those those verses there. And uh, one answer to that is this, in addition to what you had mentioned, which is a very good thought about how big is God's hand. But uh, even if you could jump out of the Lord's hand, you'd land in heaven because that's where his hand is. <laughs> so, <laughs> amen. Yeah, amen. amen. So, so let's take the logic you know, further. The bottom line is we're, we're not saved by our own good works. It's a gift to be received. And as Pastor um, Steve mentioned to you, let me, let me say this way. We're not saved by his works. By, we're not saved by our good works, but we're also not kept by our good works. Amen. And so Amen. Pastor Steve yes. mentioned from 1 Peter 1, 5, we're kept by the power of God. And that is just a very important verse regarding eternal security. Additionally, um, when you got saved, Ephesians tells you in chapter 113, it says, In whom ye also trusted, talking about trusting in Jesus Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So after you trusted Christ upon that, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And Ephesians 4.30 goes on to say that you were sealed under the day of redemption. So the Lord has you sealed. And you are sealed, you are saved, you are secure. <clears throat> Matter of fact, if you genuinely trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, whether you know it or not, you are eternally secure. Amen. And tell you a couple other good verses to look at. Romans 8, 38 and 39 tells you that uh, nothing can separate you from uh, the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And you can look those up on your own, but uh, it, one of, a couple of things it mentions there is nor things present nor things to come. So no matter what happens from the day that you get saved till the day you die, you cannot be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus once you've got that love of God, once you've got Christ as your Savior. And he, he is giving you, he mentioned also that great promise, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And as long as you got Jesus, see, when you get saved, you got him. And that, that went back to 1 John 5, 12. He that hath the Son hath life. So as long as you got him, you got that eternal life that he was talking about in that context. And so if there's nothing you can do to lose Jesus, because he won't leave you nor forsake you, there's nothing you can lose do to lose eternal life. And so many things to say. I'll just add this and, and um, uh, be done. But in 1 John chapter 3, I'll give you a few, few verses right there that go right along with this. It says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold back. I'm going to be done after one other thing after this. <laughs> but, <laughs> as, uh, but he says, 
For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. So here's the deal. You can't lose your salvation. You can lose your assurance of salvation. You, you can be sure, but some people lose that uh, assurance. They, they doubt their salvation. But if that be, it all comes from not living right, really, and not having faith in God. And when we do wrong, our heart condemns us, and we think, oh, how could I possibly be saved and do that? But you didn't get saved by your good works. You got saved by the grace of God. You didn't deserve it, and you don't deserve to stay saved. Amen. And when our heart doesn't condemn us, then we have that confidence. So it's, it's, it's a key thing to stay right with the Lord, but, but if you do fall, you're still not going to be utterly cast down. Um, let me get to here's the, the thing that I, other thing I wanted to, to uh, mention. First John chapter five and verse number 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. So when you're saved, God's spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. So he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. So when you don't believe that you have eternal life, when you have Jesus as your Savior, you're just making a liar out of God. Mm-hmm. The record, this is this all that verse 10, when, when it says you don't believe the record, you, you make a liar out of God. That's what leads into these verses about eternal life and eternal security. Because he goes on to say, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And so if you don't believe that, you're just making a liar out of God. You've got to believe that your your Father knows what he's talking about. And then it goes on to the 12, he that hath the Son hath life, all one-syllable words, nice and easy, so God makes sure you could understand it. And then 13, uh, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know, K-N-O-W, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So you can know that you're saved. And um, that's kind of the illustration he was talking about with John Wesley. Finally recognized that he needed some assurance, and I uh, trust he eventually got it. It's good to be saved. Amen. It's, it's, and it's good to know you're saved. Amen. Would you... Uh, would you say that here's my experience has been that for folks that I've talked to that that I've said you know I know I'm saved and there's somehow this feeling that from the other person that oh you think you're better than everybody else and again that's not it I, I know I didn't deserve salvation nothing I could do to obtain salvation and there was also nothing I could do to keep salvation because you know we have that assurance we're held by God. Um, but have you, is to me, it's ironic that the very people that believe you have to, um, work for your salvation, think I'm the one that's, you know, that they have something to do with their salvation and keeping their salvation. And then I'm the one that's, you know, like a braggart saying, Oh, I, I know I'm saved. It is a knee-jerk reaction. You know, I I grew up in the Catholic Church, and I always felt like I was on my way to heaven after confession because I was got a clean slate until the next time I sin, and then, oh, I'm in trouble again, you know. Yeah. And when I was looking to, to know that I was saved, and I sat down with a, a pastor. Uh, this was after the Catholic priest had no answers, but I sat down with a pastor 
and just and this is actually even before we sat down. I met with him after the the Bible study that we were at, and he asked me if I were to die today, I was I hundred percent sure I'd go to heaven. And of course, I didn't know that, and I said, "Well, are you?" <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, "Well, yes." And when he said that again, I, I, my reaction was, even though that's what I wanted to know, was, "Well, you really don't know." It's kind of an arrogant thing, you know. But if you if you then get past your knee jerk reaction and look at the scriptures and listen to the testimony, he wasn't telling me he was uh, going to heaven because he was some good godly uh, person. He went on to show me that it's. As he's a sinner saved by grace, and that's Amen. how any sinner gets saved. Amen. Yeah. Amen. It's so enlightening because, man, I thought, like when I saw Isaiah 64, 6, well, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and Romans 3, 23, all of sin comes short of the glory of God, and Romans 3, 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. And man, I, it kind of blew me out of the water because I thought there were, I didn't think I was good enough to get to heaven because of my sin, but I thought there were some people good enough to get to heaven, like maybe the Pope or somebody. Mm. And then I get realizing, you know what, we're all in the same boat And yeah. if, as far as uh, being sinners. And if you want to uh, get out of that boat and get into uh, the old ship of Zion, if you will, you got to trust Jesus as your Savior. Amen. So that's what I did that night. That was a good choice. Give God Amen. the glory for it. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. What about standing versus state? Does that play into this conversation? Well, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of the same principle. Um, you know, it's just a different way of exp explaining it. And I, I always get the two mixed up of where, where I'm standing or my state. But uh, our standing, if, if I got it, if I have it right, is, you know, we're seated in heavenly places. We're, we're safe in the Lord. But, you know, um, our state is, is wherever we happen to be. And, and that could be, you know, whether you're in a, in a place where you're not right with God or you are right with God. I could have those mixed up. But anyway, it's still, you know, it, it has to do with the fact that, that in God's sight, you're saved and born again because of what Jesus Christ did for us. It's, it, it's his righteousness that God sees. It's not our righteousness. Mm -hmm. But our fellowship with the Lord is dependent upon how we live for him here. And that determines, you know, what condition we're in as far as relationship with, with the Lord. And so there are two different things, and uh, they coincide at the same time, if you will. So, you know, we can be saved and born again and safe in God and yet, you know, be out of fellowship with the Lord and, and need to get right with him. That thus uh, goes to that uh, chastening rod that I talked about in, in the study that, uh, you know, the Lord could, could put his chastening hand, a, 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 I'm sorry, chastening rod upon us and um you know kind of uh, get us back in line if we're if we're listening to him and willing to to submit to that rod uh there are many christians out there that are chastened by the lord they're just ignoring the rod and they're just going on their merry way mm -hmm. because they they want to do their own thing and uh, the 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 rod gets heavier and heavier <laughs> as time goes on and sometimes even those people that are saved and born again even though they are saved uh, look just like a lost person, but to be guaranteed, they're they're miserable. Amen. They're miserable beyond belief, and they have no peace. And uh, so, that standing in state is is a different way of of talking about you know our our place in God as far as being saved and born again, and 
our fellowship with him as, as being either right with him or, or, or out of fellowship. And I, I've had it explained to me this way, um, standing in state is I have a son, and I'm sure many of us have a child or son or daughter, but I have a son. He was physically born my son. Um, that will never change. He will always be my son. Now, the state would be the fellowship that we have together. He may have said, well, I don't want to be your son, or he's you know, acting inappropriate in such a way that you know, would break fellowship with us. It, it never stops him from being my son because just like the new birth, right? We, we, uh, we're, we're born again. Um, that doesn't change, but certainly our, our state, our fellowship with the Lord can, can be suffering by how we act and what we do. And Steve, I think you're the one that told me that. <laughs> Many years yeah, ago. Yes, it was. <laughs> But it always stuck with me because I thought it made a lot of sense. Yeah, amen. Amen. And you did have it right with the standing in the state. I mean, think about it this way. Okay. Um, you, we're standing in Christ. And you think about your state. You can Your state can change. The state of matter can change. You can you're, you, you can change what state you're in right now. Uh, Matt's in Ohio. Well, he may be mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania by now. Yep. <laughs> or even New York. Yeah. Who knows? Um, depends on how fast he's driving. But... Um, but you can change what state you're in, but but your standing in Christ always makes this makes it's always the same once you're saved. Right. This thing is so right. strong of eternal security that you could get so backslidden that you say, like like he was talking about the illustration, I don't even want to be your son. You could say, God, I don't even like you anymore. I want be. I don't even believe anymore. And here's what the Bible says: It is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Context of that is the rain. And look what he says next. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithfully. He cannot de- deny himself. Amen. So so if you really genuinely are ever born again, that new birth cannot be undone. If you're ever born again, he's with you. And you get a place where you say, I don't even believe you. He still looks down. He doesn't see your sins. He sees his son. And so you are still saved because he cannot deny himself. Amen. And it all Amen. comes Amen. back to we're not earning our salvation. We receive That's it as right. a gift. Amen. Now, you right. may lose your mind and, and, and go all stupid after that, but you're still a Christian, <laughs> whether, you, whether you like it or not. Amen. What a mercy. <laughs> and God will straighten the rest of it out when this robe of flesh you drop and rise to see the everlasting right. prize. Amen. 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 Good stuff. Well, guys, thanks again for another uh episode of That's in the Bible. And Steve, thanks again for bringing us that study. That's one I'm sure that many people will be referring to that over time. Amen. Um, Amen. It's a great resource. And uh, what a merciful God we have that, uh, you know, not only offers us salvation, but again, it's not dependent upon us to keep it. Certainly is dependent upon us to keep right fellowship, but salvation, that's, that's the Lord's. All right. Anything else? Uh, just those last verses I read, Second uh, Timothy chapter two, eleven through thirteen. Amen. Amen. All right, Lord willing, we'll see you again real soon. In the meantime, press on. In the skies, going where, going where no one dies, heavenward bound. Troubles will soon be.
care Rising up in the skies Telling this world goodbye Homeward we then will fly Glory to share Jesus is coming soon Morning or night or noon Many will, Many will meet their doom Trumpets will surely sound All of the dead shall rise Righteous be in the skies Going where, going where no one dies Heavenward bound Jesus is coming soon Morning or night or noon Many will, many will meet their doom Trumpets will sound will surely sound All of the dead shall rise Righteous be